1: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations
2: to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to On the Continent, your definitive guide to the week in European football. I'm Addie Adebayo.
0: I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Nikki Bandini.
2: On this edition, when Napoli met Real Madrid in the Champions League, was it love at first sight? Well, Nicky was there. We'll hear what it was like. Also, there are no easy games in the Champions League, but after Newcastle breeze past PSG, will the group stage be a walk in the St. James's Park for the Geordies? And welcome to hell. Uh, did Old Trafford underestimate the Turkish champions' ability to withstand the firepower? Nicky, welcome back. Uh, you've been eating pizzas for how many euros? And not a slice, by the way, the whole pizza. I,
0: I've upset Dotton this morning <laughs> by telling him that in Naples, this isn't even like one place you get this. This is standard price for a margarita in Naples is five euros. Five you years. might find it for less than that. And I'm talking well, I'm, about... I paid
1: four in a decent restaurant. Yeah. But that, uh, that, was, that, was, before a home, that was before a home game with Empoli. <laughs> yes. isn't it? it's very different.
0: But this is, this is not sort of out in some quiet area. This is the middle of town where there's tourists. Five euros for pizza is very normal.
2: Don't tell them what we pay. Otherwise, we won't <laughs> go back there for a while. But what a match that you saw, though. Napoli versus Real Madrid.
0: Yeah, brilliant match, brilliant um, experience getting to be there for um, for that game. Because of course, even in the Champions League, there are games and there are games. And I think um, for Naples as a city, for for Napoli, Real Madrid is is still a big event. It's 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 one of those those visits when from a from one of the European elite, as it were, and and coming at a moment when Napoli are. Serie A champions, it felt like a really big occasion. Um, it was treated like a really big occasion before kickoff inside the stadium. It, it felt like something different. It felt more like a, a Champions League semi final or a final or something because they just had that atmosphere and that anticipation. They had a DJ on and and I mean, that's very Neapolitan. That's very Naples to have a show before the show, and to make it feel like a night out and make it feel like a an occasion. It's very, it was a full club experience, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it really was. Yeah. I, I can't remember the DJ's name because I'm not cool and don't think about things like that, but it was a celebrity DJ that they got in. Um, and it was, it was, it was a real vibe. And then the game kicked off, and, and I thought it was a brilliant, entertaining game of football as well.
2: It, we thought so as well, watching it on the telly, at least I thought so. Uh, a return for Carlo Ancelotti on the one. Aside, but also um, Jude Bellingham, to see him in the flesh on a mm-hmm. night when he was on his game must have been amazing.
0: It was, it was. Ancelotti was its own sort of fascinating story because um, at his press conference before the game, he arrived and reporters in Naples gave him a round of applause. So he got like a, a real like big welcome back. When I mean, you think, he, of course, because he was the Napoli manager and and it wasn't a particularly successful tenure it ended badly with him uh, getting the, the sack in the middle of a season actually just after a win in the Champions League and uh, and so there was that reaction from from the reporters inside the stadium it was when his name was announced it was much more mixed there were definitely some whistles for him there was definitely some some hostility to him as well as, as mixed in with the um, some warmth. Actually
1: um, my question to you Nikki about Ancelotti was going to mm-hmm. be you, you talked about how he got binned the day after the morning after a Champions League win, and obviously mm-hmm. succeeded by Rino Gattuso. Um, I kind of felt that he started to teach modern Napoli how to play in the Champions League. Would you agree with that? I think there's
0: definitely a, a, an argument for that. They, they had some basically all of their best moments under Ancelotti were in Europe rather mm. than in the league, which of course is classically the Ancelotti narrative, isn't it? Mm. But uh, you know, he, he's the guy who does it in the cups. Um, but yeah, because of course they had great games against Liverpool, mm. they had they had some really big European nights and and that was kind of a big part of the appointment of Ancelotti. And I think a lot of, um, we're going to get derailed here into a whole different topic I probably shouldn't start on, but a lot of the a- appointments under Aurelio de Laurentiis have felt very targeted like this in terms of, I want this manager because he will bring something, a new strand to our bow. And for Ancelotti being there, I do think part of it was very much about this European identity. Um, and I, I I need to answer Doshin about Bellingham because that was a question you asked or I haven't even started answering. But I, I just want to sort of emphasise that in Naples. I, I think one of the things that's so fun about being there for a Champions League night is despite being a big club, despite having the history of Maradona, of course it is the Stadio Maradona, despite being the city of champions right now, there's none of the presumption i would say you get with perhaps the other italian big clubs when you go to san sido on a european night it's a huge night it's an amazing atmosphere but they expect to be there whereas in naples it still feels like this is so cool we get to be here like there's that sort of Mm. vibe to it and that moment before kickoff when the anthem plays and then they just sort of all shout the champions together, the crowd do, which is a very Italian thing, but really hits the Naples. They did that
1: in Newcastle last night, actually. Did they? Uh, that,
0: that, <laughs> that, that that sense of it yeah. not
1: being, you know, it being something to be genuinely celebrated. Yeah. Being there.
0: Well, Funnily enough, there's a video of Bellingham and Bellingham, like res- you see his face when they, when that happens, because it's so loud. Um, I was with Semra Hunter doing work for Stan Sports and, and she had the same reaction. She was like, you know, looking around, like what happened, and Bellingham has that moment as well. Before kickoff, is like, wow, okay, like that's the thing, um, and uh, and and it's it is it's an, it's an incredible sort of um, place to 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 see that and have that experience. And then Bellingham in the stadium, as I just said, named after Maradona, gave a performance that had lots of Italian reporters making the the comparison to Maradona, although he himself uh, said, in a way that, of course. Completely reasonably reflects the generational divide. Was like, well, I've, I've watched him on YouTube, and um, you know, I don't think I'm at that level yet.
1: So they, they did it in France as well. <laughs> like they, they had a headline um, comparing Bellingham to to, to Maradona, um, whereas in Spain they were. I oh, don't take the piss. Just Di Stefano. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think what's amazing is when we talk about Bellingham in this room, and when we talk about Bellingham on the Ramble. I think Luke at the start of the season was going, I don't really want to say it out loud yet. I don't know if I'm um, putting it out there for, on his behalf. But, um, you know, I, I think he might be the maybe the best English player ever. And we're all very cautious about mm. it. The rest of Europe, the cat is out of the bag. The rest oh, yeah. of Europe are not cautious about it. The, uh, I mean, like we said, like 10 games into his Real Madrid career. And those fans... Who've seen a lot of talent down the years. Let's not muck about. I just, holy shit, this kid is unbelievable.
0: Well, he's not a kid. Yeah, and I think this is worth um, emphasizing. Angelotti, who, as we've just talked about, I mean, he knows a thing or two about top level football. He's the Champions League is is his home. He's won it. Mm. I can't think how many times. Enough times. Um, and he was saying after the game. Um, the Bellingham reminds him of Cristiano Ronaldo so again not exactly a sort of small uh, names draw in terms of level of talent and he was saying but the thing is we're not talking about someone who's 30 we're talking about someone who's at the beginning of his career um, so even Ancelotti who I don't think is is someone who's easily dazzled is 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 having that reflection on him and yeah I, I sort of don't know how much to to, mm. to keep talking about Benningham because this is on the continent but I mean yes the continent is he's on the continent he is very much on on, 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 on the continent
1: he's he's ruling the continent yeah Yeah.
2: yeah. Um, okay on that note let's talk about Napoli as well Um, champions as the crowd alluded to uh, but last week we were talking about them in uh, well talking about the drama behind the scenes at Napoli that spilled over into the public gaze, uh, particularly around their centre-forward, Ozymen, mm-hmm. who looked out of sorts last week, but this week looked very much a part of the Napoli team and fought a guard action at times to keep Real Madrid out. So is, um, for want of a better way of describing it, coconut gate over?
0: Um. I think that's a hard question to answer because on the surface, yes, Um, it took far longer than it felt like it should, but eventually Napoli put out a statement, um, uh, Defending their actions and and expressing support for Osman, Osman then put out this statement saying that he loves the fans in Naples and and they've made him feel so at home. And this, no one should pay attention to this divisiveness. Which,
1: although he did say the fans, not the club, didn't he? Yes, he
0: did. And and there's still like a You're type... reading
2: between the lines there. Yeah, very
0: well. And I, I oh gosh, I mean, I don't. There's a lot of people leave Napoli and have less than less than positive things to say about the way the club does business and in fact even in the build-up to this game Callejon who of course a player who links um Real Madrid and, and Napoli um was talking about how at the end of his time at Napoli he was just paying on un- playing unpaid because um COVID had extended the season and so he when he was saying "Well, my contracts actually up," he said the club turned around and said well if you want to stop now stop um we're not paying you for the extra weeks so you can play or not um was wow. how Callejon told it um so, um, and, and yeah, his response to that was, well, of course, I'm not going to stop. The season isn't over and I don't want to leave this club that way. So, the, yes, I think the, the relationship with the club is not fully repaired. I personally think that the most likely outcome is that we'll see Osman awesome leave next summer because I don't think now they'll get him to sign a new contract. Um, but he'll have one year left
1: next summer, won't he? Yes, yeah.
0: um, but there's, um, there's time yet and things can change. Um, in terms of the football, it's been fascinating because as you say, in a week ago, it felt like, um, well, a bit more than a week ago now, but it felt like this it, this club was in a real sort of near crisis moment. Then they win two games in a row by scoring four goals in the league. Um, and then they play a very competitive game against Real Madrid. I think they showed some of their frailties. And indeed, I think they, they perhaps one of the weaknesses in this performance, which is the bit I still don't think that Garcia has, has sussed is that sometimes Ossiman looked too disconnected from the rest of the team. The gap was too big. There wasn't that connection, but there were the...
1: points that happened last season, yeah. weren't there? And that they, they worked out how to, how to bridge that gap.
0: Yeah. Um, and I, I think there was a point in the second half of the game when that wasn't true. And, and right after they got that second goal, Napoli played some brilliant football, Kavar looked really on his game. Um, but I think they're not perfect but they did show again what they can be capable of. And in some ways, it does feel like that incident has, at least in the short term, brought the squad together and, and given them that sense and, and of... And that's so,
2: important, I would have thought, now, because they are the champions we're talking about. Yeah. And this is a mm. crucial season. Of the season after they, they won the Scudetto.
1: Yes and yes, and no, I, w- I would say, because um, as we were saying at the, the end of last season, I don't even necessarily think it's about building a dynasty or whatever the fact is this is a club that's won the title three times ever. And last year was the Mm. third time and they went and did it. They went and did it without Maradona for the first time. So if it doesn't become, you know, years of domination, does it really matter? I think, you know, it won't take anything away from it for the, for the, for the people of Naples, for sure. But I just think the, what was, what's happened? Obviously it should never have happened. And, Aussie men never should have had to put up with what he put up with, but it seems a little bit like Vesuvius. It's like release the pressure a little mm. bit in the, in the in the volcano. Interestingly, I, I noted that um, and a lot of uh, newspapers noted that um, Carlo Ancelotti and Real Madrid were staying in Hotel Vesuvio, the one where he was actually sacked. So, I mean, it's one thing going back to your old club. Having to stay in the place where you got fired, I think is 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 slightly different, isn't it? But you know, I, th- I think if you look at as you were saying, Nikki, the manner in which various players have left and big players, mm. you know, Spalletti was asked at the, you know, the, the 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 training camp last summer before they won the league, has Mertens left or not? Because
0: the club never yeah. announced it, which is absolutely extraordinary, Well, look really. at the manner of Spalletti's departure. It, yeah. wasn't, it wasn't handled well. It's, a, it's
1: out the back door, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. And I, I think that's, that's the remarkable thing, how, and I think it's kind of reflected in this performance, how it's, it's almost such a special thing to play for Napoli and connect with that public, that the players can be taken for granted a little bit. I mean, I think when you look at the be- end of that first half, they look done you think mm. they've they've had their little bit at the beginning of the first half now real madrid are on top of it bellingham's on top of it the second half performance i think is extraordinary because mm. you just don't see it coming yeah. at all they they, they just dig it out of somewhere
0: yeah definitely definitely and i th- i think there's like a real like there needs to be a separation when we talk about these things between just cuz you alluded to it like how the club treats players and how the fans treat players the fans make mm. players there into into i mean I was going to say gods, and I think, but but, but literally, because when you go around the Spanish Quarter and there's all these little shrines, it's a very sort of unique city in terms of this blend of superstition and, and religion. Naples, but there is little shrines and, and dedications to, to to lost family members often that are that are there in these sort of nooks and crannies in the in the in the Spanish Quarter, and you'll see people's family members all being remembered together in in these nooks, and then right next to them. A cutout of Maradona wearing a scarf. Like Maradona is physically present everywhere. Um, and alongside him, no one to anywhere near, remotely near the same extent, but alongside him are more recent heroes. And those heroes include ones who never won anything. Drees Mertens is is prominent, so is Marek Hamzik. These these are people who are just perceived by the public to have shared the love that they gave them and therefore it's reciprocated so that the relationship between fans and players and fans and coaches is one thing the relationship between the club is something different
2: that's why it's special isn't it so from the evidence of the match that you saw nikki is it clear that real madrid and napoli are the teams that will go through in this group or are the runners and riders Braga and Union Berlin? Do they stand a chance we're against the might of Real Madrid and Napoli? Honestly, from evidence. I from wondered it. after all this religious iconography
1: how yes. we were going to vice in Union versus uh, Braga. But you've done it brilliantly. I,
0: I try. <laughs> I, I, I think that circumstances make it look very favourable now to the to the obvious clubs, to Real Madrid and Napoli, because Napoli dug out a late win in Braga. Braga looked like a very competitive side in this group. They played well against Napoli. They got a good win away from home against Berlin. But now they're fighting an uphill battle because they lost at home in the first one. And the next two games are against Real Madrid. So it's a it's a tall order for Braga to, to get themselves in a competitive position.
1: Match day three and four can really finish you, can't yeah. they? Back to back, especially against a, a, a strong opponent. But I, th- I think Braga have got something to cling on to here because they're outplayed for a lot of that game against Union. Um, so, uh, when Union were 2-0 up, they were well in control and the near-cate goal that um, pulled one back was, was out of nowhere. And then, of course, when it's 2-2, in the last bit of the game, they bring on two old boys, Jamal Moutinho and Andre Castro, to sort of gum up the game in midfield and prevent Union scoring a winner against them. And Andre Castro, who's like the dictionary definition, really, of a, a journeyman, 35 years old, pings one in from about 35 yards, which is remarkable and it's, it's celebrated wildly. But I, th- I think there were, there were two aspects that. One, I think Braga deserved a little bit of luck that they didn't get in the first game because they should have got a draw out of that game yeah. against, against Napoli, no question. And also, what it tells us about the group and with Real Madrid having a lot of pressure in that game against Union, but really stealing it at the end and the vacillating fortunes of that game between Napoli and Real Madrid. What actually is happening in the games of these groups is not necessarily reflected by the goals and the results. So uh, anything could happen, really.
2: Well, Andy, um, I suppose you're the right person to ask whether there was any fog on the tine last night. (laughs) It's all yours, all yours. Yeah, well
1: <coughs> you know you know what if that sort of occasion had been held in italy yeah there, there would have been the smoke of flares all all all, all over the, the 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 pitch but when these names come out of the hat everyone says oh, newcastle i've got no chance of getting out of this group i i didn't say that I might <laughs> the way. fortunately our words that. are recorded yeah. so <laughs> people will know we're not fibbing but i i think it was all about like, could they could they play the matches rather than the occasions, really? And Newcastle have done that pretty well so far. You know, even when they were getting all run over in the first half against Milan, they managed to stay in it. Nick Pope made some good saves, a lot more saves than he had to make last night against PSG, um, by, by the way. And we've seen the vulnerabilities in all of these teams. It was it's funny how Edin Terzic, the Dortmund coach, was saying at the end of the game last night that well, a points pretty good. We're only three points off the top. <laughs> I, I would have thought he'd be a little bit more disappointed because for a home game, albeit against a, a name like Milan, I, I don't I don't really think they offered that much. They didn't really create that much, and it was remarkable as we spoke about in the. The back end of that game against PSG on Match Day One, they looked more dynamic when 34-year-old Marco Royce came on the pitch, mm-hmm. which told you a lot about the plod of Dortmund. Now, what Newcastle have shown in this group so far is that, even in the Champions League, the collective beat starts every time, every time. Because you look at that that game, and we, we talked about it at length in Ramble Reacts with the boys, of course, but. Um, I think what was so remarkable about this game, amongst many remarkable things, the game at St. James's Park, is you look at the the big difference between Newcastle and PSG. You look at the benches. look How many options they've got. And Luis Enrique didn't manage to change anything. Well, he didn't change the shape of the team. You know, he left it 4-2-4 for absolutely, well, for the whole game, as he confessed afterwards. And why he did that, well you'd have to ask him. I think it's an extraordinary decision, really. And it really put them at a disadvantage. But they had the players to change it if it wasn't going right on the bench. And the problem with Newcastle is because they've developed so quickly, because they're way ahead of schedule, they don't have that depth on the bench yet. But yet all the players that came on managed to affect the game, be it Elliot Anderson, be it Jacob Murphy. And that's something that, you know, Bradley Barcola came on and I thought added a little something to PSG. Obviously, I love him as a a, a player anyway. But it didn't do anything for Kylian Mbappe because Barcola plays out wide and so Mbappe gets pushed further into the centre where he doesn't really want to be. Now, of course, that might be a little bit of training for Real Madrid when he won't be playing out left because it's Vinicius Junior's position. So maybe that's a little bit of gradual learning for him not to say that he can't do a job as a center forward but you know he always looks in his spot in the Thierry Henry spot really doesn't he on the on on the left-hand side Nicky but I think if you're any of these teams like you're thinking yeah this group is ours for the taking surely surely Milan are thinking that as well
0: I think Milan feel like it should have been there for the taking and then are worried that they're blowing it because Milan have taken 39 shots in the last two games in this group and haven't scored any of them. Yeah, and and that's in the end really critical. um I think that it's it's this sort of hard edge of the Champions League, and especially in a group that you could call the group of death, is that you have to make these things count. I I think Milan were the better team against Newcastle in the first game at San Siro. They they got a point. I think Milan were the better team against Dortmund. In this game, and okay, it's away from home, so you 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 have that less pressure, perhaps, to win. But they got a point again, and now they're third in the group, and they're heading into back to back with PSG, who on all of a sudden need to win. Yeah, yeah. on paper yeah. are the most daunting team in the in the group. Whether or not that's reality, I think we definitely can get into. Mm. But on paper, they are. They're still the team that has, up until Jude Bellingham started making us doubt ourselves, the player who probably all would have said is the best player in the world in their team. And and now they have to get results from those games. So they, they've backed themselves into a corner. And it's really interesting, like Andy talking about options off the bench, because that was such a big focus for Milan with this summer transfer window. The justification for selling Tenali is use that money to bring in different options. And you saw those options in this game. Chicoise comes on and should score. I mean, oh. he has... An absolutely brilliant chance, clean through on goal, and and gets his feet wrong. Um, but you've also got Okafor comes off the bench and gives you something different. In the second half, Adley comes off the bench in the in the, in the second half. Um, the options are there now for Milan, and they're just the critical thing. And perhaps this is the one criticism I had as well of of their transfer window is they've added some really useful players. We're seeing the usefulness of those players. But the one thing they still haven't done for me is give a real second alternative to Giroud at, at centre-forward. And Giroud is responsible for missing a good chance in this game. He had one of the two best yeah, chances with Chikwese yeah. in the first half. And no one here, certainly not me, is chucking Giroud out as a player who's finished. He's not. He's going to oh, no. score goals. Oh, we know. <laughs> but but you need to have a second option. You mm. need to. And I still feel like that's the one thing this team is is lacking, is, is that second number nine option that you really feel good about
2: on the evidence of this week's champions league ties though i think it's well worth asking that question that uh you suggested uh, with the doubt that you mentioned nikki is kilian mbappe still the best player in the world
0: I, th- I think it's it's really hard to judge off this tiny little portion of the season and i think it was to cite like you, Andy, on and Ramble Reacts, um, it, it's worth reminding everyone that he missed the entire preseason because of self-sabotage by PSG. Whatever the it's reason.
1: all self-inflicted with yeah. PSG. It's like Luis Enrique sticking to that 4-2-4. It's obvious to anyone after they have that three-man midfield that bosses the first game against Dortmund, that grips them and won't let them go. They go in with this 4-2-4, four, 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 which didn't really work at Clermont on Friday night. Clermont, by the way, you know, probably the weakest team in Liga. And then when it doesn't work for the first half, you think, all right, well, take one of the forwards off and stick Vittinio on. It's, you know, not difficult. If, if you're sitting there in the stand and you can say, and he sticks to the exact same shape. Now, surely, surely they've, they've, they've got a, They've got to move away from that. I mean, it's fine Luis Enrique sitting in the press conference saying that the first and the last person responsible for this is me. It's like, fine. Why didn't you change it during the game? Because they do have those those options. I think there are a couple of issues. Firstly, um, there's the Mbappe thing. You know, they, they need to get him fit, like properly fit. Mm. And bear in mind, he has still scored eight and eight games this season and like you know this this is him at half pace basically and that they've you know he's, he's chucked in a couple of assists as well they've, they've
0: he very nearly set up PSG to go ahead against Newcastle I mean that Dembele, could be right different if Dembele scores yeah, well, yeah. maybe it wouldn't be but it could yeah I think it could have made
1: a difference yeah, yeah. It, it, it could have absolutely and you know he, he's got to figure out what his best front line is still because you know that those Some of those players are, are new, Carlo Moani and Gonzalo Ramos, neither of whom had a particularly good night at uh, a new. But as I've said before, I think the fact that they're really reliant on um, Manuel Ugarte already is an issue. You know, whenever you're reliant on one player, that's a problem. I don't think they really have a replacement for him. And you know what? You know what they really needed in that midfield? And I'm, I'm pretty sure we've mentioned this before, And we'll mention it again this season. They just needed that player to pick the lock because, and you knew that, because Mbappe was coming backwards to get the ball to make it happen, which I'm pretty sure wasn't the role that anyone imagined for him. (laughs) Uh, uh, He's he's probably gone back into midfield saying, "Oh, where's where's Chavi Simmons? Oh, yeah, he's on loan at Leipzig because he's the player that they actually own—the player who could do that."
2: so it was welcome to hell for the younger listeners hell is a place uh, known as old Trafford. except <laughs> except there was no welcome. It's your man united at the moment well, yeah <laughs> very good point but there was no hell waiting for galatasaray this was a first win on english soil and of all at all places it was at manchester uh, united I imagine that Galatasaray are, are always annually, perennially, at least um, the, the 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 team are they underdogs? Is that fair to describe them as? Or in in a European sense, yeah. I,
1: I guess, but they they haven't been in the Champions League enough in recent years to even be that. You know, um, it's it's been an absence for them and. For them, they've, they've, they've put a lot of eggs in the Champions League basket this season. You know, they've gone out, um, they've spent a lot on wages, particularly in, in, in the transfer
2: market. Wilfred Zaha. Yeah,
1: uh, being just one of those.
2: Um, Former you know, Manchester United uh, signing, obviously. but Yeah, you, ne-
1: you never would have guessed it from the way that he celebrated that <laughs> equalising <laughs> goal. <laughs> I, I, I think Zaha going back there, was he, he was going back there at absolutely the right time. Because if you look at... The previous weekend against Ankuraguchu, he plays comfortably his best game for Galatasaray so far. He looks sharp, causes problem for the defenders. Loads of stuff goes through him. He scores his first goal, uh, which he, he really enjoys, uh, at Rams Park as well. And so this is the perfect time for him to go back to to Old Trafford. And, you know, he, he caused a lot of problems for Diogo Dallo as well, and not just the goal, I thought. Um, But I I thought this was, I mean, obviously we we talked on the Ramble earlier in the week about what an error strewn performance this was by Manchester United, not just by Manchester United. Obviously the the first goal by Rasmus Hoyland was exactly the sort of goal that you felt Galatasaray were open to because they don't Mm. have that Ugarte type player. They've, They've got a lot of fun attacking players, but they don't have that player to protect the back four which you saw a from how they got done by a straight ball very easily for the first one. On the second one, a misplaced pass by Sergio Oliveira, which catches Davinson Sanchez completely off balance, and then Hoyland is is, is clean through to, to 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 finish very very nicely. But of course, Manchester United's current vulnerability makes it. You know, sometimes I think we can get obsessed with you know what's legacy defining what's perfect football this to me it was sometimes sometimes shambolic is a great spectacle
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it certainly was in this case it was a little bit like when a friend of mine fell down the escalator at angel tube is <laughs> very exciting very dangerous <laughs> He was all right in the end, just like Mauro Cardi was all right in, 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 in the end. But it was, it was a compelling spectacle. It, it, it really was. And I think what we saw... You,
2: you were laughing as your friend fell down the escalators. And that escalator, Angel Tube... It's a long one. It's a long one because they used to have a lift going down because that was the most direct way to get to the ground. And you laughed all the way down. Oh no! I laughed at the end when he was fine. Oh,
1: okay. Just uh, also, also, he was he was wearing a protective duffel coat. I sound like it was some sort of experiment. It wasn't an experiment. Was he wearing it was wearing a crash helmet. <laughs> yeah, he, sh- he, sh- he, sh- he should have been. But no crash helmets at Old Trafford either. And I think I I, I don't know that the whole devil may care spirit of the evening I thought was really captured by the fact that Mauro Icardi, who's just we talk about him so much off the pitch, Nicky, but he's endlessly fascinating on it because at the moment you're seeing the best of Icardi because mm-hmm. he's fully invested and mm-hmm. he's loved as possibly he's never been in his European mm-hmm. career before. So he misses that penalty, which would stick in the head of most players because you've potentially missed the chance to beat Man United at Old Trafford. You know, there's like a mm-hmm. quarter of an hour left or so when when, when he when he does that. Or, or slightly less in terms of normal time. And then he goes back, makes a last-ditch block tackle yeah. on Rasmus Hoyland to stop him getting his, his, his hat-trick. And then he goes up the other end and applies the most nerveless finish. I, I, actually, I, I, we were on the same stand broadcast, weren't we, earlier this week? And mm-hmm. I described Icardi as your favourite goal scorer's favourite goal scorer. <laughs> I, I, I would I would stick with that, I, I think.
0: I think he's fascinating, Icardi, because actually um I think in a way that perhaps hasn't been observed, partly because I suppose Galatasaray is is less in the limelight than other clubs he's been at in his career, in an international sense anyway. Yeah. Um and partly because there's this endless fascination with his off pitch life that you talk about. I think people have missed his evolution as a player a little bit. I think he has gone from being just a penalty box striker to being something more of a tuto campista, as say, like a you know, an all-over-the-pitch kind of guy. I think he does put himself about more than he used to.
1: There was a little bit of that in his good moments at Inter, though, wasn't yeah, there?
0: Yeah, there could be. There could be. Um, and I think he's always been a, a genuinely big talent. I think he's always been someone who is capable of... Scoring goals on any stage, certainly. Um, but just technically showing you things that not all footballers can do. I mean, really, in terms of his finishing,
1: he's sort of, the, to take it back a few years, he's kind of the Sonny Anderson end of the market, isn't there? Mm. You know, you don't really want him to do too much outside the, the the penalty box because you don't want him to be Cavani, for example. No. You, want him to, you don't want him to press defenders all that time. You want him to keep a bit in the tank Maintain that clarity because you know what an incredible finisher he is. And I think what he's he's underlined, particularly in Turkey, actually, we haven't quite seen it in the the Champions League yet, but he's actually, and given his relatively small stature, he's an incredible header of the ball as well. Yeah, he is. is. You know, and I think in terms of when you get Zaha more integrated when you get, you know, they've got other wide players as well. Tete is is, is in there as well. They've got loads of players. Sergio Oliveira can deliver great free kicks. It's another furrow to plough isn't it with, with with Icardi
0: yeah definitely he's I think he's 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 just very talented I, I know I'm sounding like a suck record but I think he is and I think um while you're right Andy about like wanting him to to be the president in those moments have that clarity I, I think he's really just not existing in the penalty area anymore I think he's no. he, and you're right he didn't just do that at Inter but I think he was asked too much more and maybe Maybe there's a bit more freedom now in terms of what he's been asked for. Isn't it a funny thing about him, though, in,
1: in that people have a particular view of him and what he's like as a as a personality, mm. when actually it's clear from his best moments at Inter
2: and Galatasaray, just, he does need a bit of love, doesn't he? Just on the question of uh, Galatasaray... Here, with all that you know, extra or all that talent, many of them sitting on the bench, coming off the bench at Old Trafford, when they take on Bayern Munich, they must have their tails up, and arguably um, will feel as if they can get a result against Bayern. Well, you know when we we talked about how match day three
1: and four, when you play, it's almost like a knockout mm. leg in in the. It's almost like a knockout tie in the middle of the Champions League group stage. And so you can either fill your boots against a weak opponent, or if you're playing someone really good, you can get battered and it can completely destroy your your good start to the Champions League. And Galatasaray is sort of walking a very thin line here. Now, if I were to tell you now that they get spanked by Bayern twice, are either of you going to be massively surprised? No. Probably not. On the other hand, I think you look at Galatasaray's strengths and the variation that they have... And the fact that you have you didn't have Hakim Ziyech in this situation, you've got Ziyech mm-hmm. to, to, to to come back as 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 well. You've got so many options. Um, and actually, one that's flown really under the radar, who created the the equaliser for Kerem the, the second equaliser for Kerem Um Barish. Only twenty years old, he's going to have to fight tooth and nail to get any playing time because of the the forwards and wide players they've got. He came on and made a massive impact. And he's someone who is busy, he's quick, he's bright, he gets amongst it. And he made a real impact in, in this game a- ahead of a lot of non-homegrown names. And I think when you look at the fact that they have got all these players that can make it happen in the final third, what's Bayern's biggest weakness? Defence. And it, it's it's not just, it's not a new weakness. It's not just under Tuchel. It was, it was the same under Nagelsmann. It was the same under Hansi Flick, but Bayern was so good going forward that no one really noticed. So they do have it in them to get at Bayern. We've talked
0: about depth with other teams. The depth is extraordinary, Andy. Like mm. uh, for perhaps, of course, it was if you're setting your standards as as PSG, you might think differently. But I, I do think for Galatasaray to turn around and say, okay, well, off the bench, we're going to bring Dries Mertens, Sergio Oliveira. Like, these are guys... Right, like, so much Champions League (laughs) experience you're bringing off the bench. Like, there's a lot of teams in the Champions League, a lot, that can't do that. Mm.
2: We expect Bayern Munich to get through every single Champions League uh, year, season. We expect Bayern Munich to get through to the knockout stages. Here, we're talking like Galatasaray, uh, almost deserve to go through with them. So, if you're a Manchester United fan, you should be worried.
1: Well, the thing is, uh, they... United will have their fingers crossed that Bayern can just polish Galatasaray off. That will be in their interests, and then some. United have got to concentrate on the fact, we we talked about like the match day three and four. They've got Copenhagen home and away. Anything less than six points is just not acceptable for United in, mm-hmm. in, in that context. And I say that with full respect for Copenhagen. They, they have their experiences... As, as well, they made it really tough for Bayern um, in, in Denmark this week as, as well, and it was only that late uh, Mateus Tell goal that um, got Bayern over the line after Lucas Lele had, had given them the lead. So, you know, I, I think you look at all the the stadiums actually in the, in this group; it's a load of atmospheric stadiums as well, isn't it?
2: Okay. It's time for both of you to recommend a game of the week for us. And I, I know you'll be recommending a five euro pizza to go with it, Nikki. I might. Yeah, I know you might. <laughs> I know what you're going to do. Make us feel hungry about it. Uh-huh. Do you fancy kicking off? With yeah, the of the well,
0: I, I am going to send a friend to Naples. So <laughs> it might be the best choice is is a, a good five euro pizza. Um, Napoli are at home to Fiorentina this weekend. Um, I think Napoli, obviously, as we've just been talking about, Uh, The last three games, they've scored 10 goals because they scored four in consecutive Serie A games and they scored two against um, Real Madrid. Uh, Fiorentina are a very competitive team these days under Vincenzo Italiano. I think a lot of Napoli fans would have liked Vincenzo Italiano to be the Napoli manager this summer. I think Rudy Garcia, um, it was a real sort of surprising choice to a lot of people. Italiano is absolutely sort of the up-and-coming Italian manager that everyone is and should be keeping their eye on at the moment Fiorentina have not played I wouldn't say they've played brilliantly so far this season but they are um in terms of results doing well um they're fifth in the table so you're talking about third against fifth right now and so yeah I think this will be a really really good quality game there is also by the way a Turin derby on Saturday but in good faith I can't tell anyone to bank on a Max Allegri game being <laughs> the game of the week sometimes they have been fun this season so yes I'll send everyone to Naples. And absolutely, if you can find yourself a five euro pizza, or you know what, Dutton, <laughs> splash out, yeah. get one with some nicer toppings. Get, yeah. get I mean some...
2: Naples. I've got to go for a Neopoli- uh, Neapolitan, haven't I?
0: right? But you could, yeah. you could, you could get some burrata. You could get some some. There's all sorts of different options. You can get yourself an eight euro pizza if you want to, but I think it's a it's a pizza and five uh...
2: will do me. And just uh, to humour me, do Fiorentina have to have an away kit because there'll never be a colour cat clash, will there? I do <laughs> um, know what I
0: mean? I, I don't know about a have to, but of course we live in an age when everyone wants to show uh, off yeah, their know, third, I fourth know. and fifth kits.
2: Yeah. Well, not the wants to, but it's... <laughs> or 11th and 12th if you're Napoli. <laughs> yes, exactly. <yeah. laughs> uh, Andy, game of the week. Uh It's got to be Sunday
1: afternoon. Big derby in Germany. League leaders... By Leverkusen, of course, steered by Xavi Alonso, playing FC Köln. Very, very keenly contested this. But Leverkusen top, Köln one point, second bottom. So very, Ooh. very opposite fortunes at the moment. Köln needs something out of this, but Leverkusen look incredibly impressive. They're not only top of the league, they should be top of the league because they're the best team to to, to watch in it. It's going to be really interesting and to have a, a little look at uh Xabi Alonso and what he's doing is of interest. Why is he still there? Yeah, I, I is of interest. I was gonna say, not just to uh, by Leverkusen fans um <laughs> and German football fans, but <laughs> possibly Real Madrid fans as, as as well. We'll we'll see what happens. Um with that Sunday I think not only do you need uh Schnitzel, uh you need sauerkraut. A Schnitzel. Two? Okay, <laughs> I didn't realise this was a negotiation. Um, you need a bit of sauerkraut, a bit of red cabbage in there, a bit, bit more uh, al dente um, red cabbage in there. And maybe we're going to sneak over the border and have a bit of uh, gratin dauphinoise on the side of the plate as well.
2: Oh, I like that. Is that Polish, sneaking over the border? French. Uh, thank you. Thank you for listening to On The Continent. Do make sure that you join us again tomorrow for Ask OTC where we'll be answering all of your questions about the latest news from the world of European football. And do make sure to subscribe in your podcast app so that you never miss an episode. On the Continent is a Stack production and part of the ACAST Creator Network.